Let me welcome you again, and thank you for coming to worship with us this morning at Christ Fellowship. I'm so glad you're here. This morning's text, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6, I've titled this message, The Shepherd Showdown, because that's what we have here. We have these people who are acting badly, and then we have compared to this one that God will raise up. We really like this in our culture, well, just in general, we like when two different people on opposite sides of something, no matter what it be, come together and debate. I remember when I was in Bible college and my professor said, hey, we're going to all go to this university. It was a secular university. And he said, I'll be debating an atheist from their campus. Uh, One of the professors was an atheist, and I'll be the Christian. We'll have a Christian view on stage. And it was the atheist against the Christian on stage. And boy, I loved it. It was really good. And we love things like that. We love a showdown. Think about gladiators of old or boxing nowadays. We, we love when two different parties come at each other. We love it. And this is what's happening in our text today. For those of you who are visiting, we just walk through the scriptures. We, we choose a book and we just walk through it line by line, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And this is where we land today. Because this is how God wrote these books to be read. If I, were, if I wrote you a letter... You wouldn't start on page four, paragraph two, would you? You start at the beginning, I'm guessing, right? Well, that's how God wrote the Bible. And that's how we walk through these books. Because every word of God is precious and a gift. Speaking of every word, let's look how ours starts this morning in verse one. Jeremiah 23, verse one. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. It starts with this word woe. Do you know what a woe is? A woe is the opposite of a blessing. It means a curse. So he's pronouncing a curse upon these people. Jesus even uses this language as as well. You hear him say, blessed are these people, blessed are these people, but you also hear him say, woe to these people. Woe to the shepherds. Who are these people? Who are these shepherds? We know nowadays a shepherd is a pastor. That's not who it's referring to here. They might do similar things, but under the new covenant, shepherds have a different role than these people. Who were these people? Well, we get a hint. We actually don't even have to guess. The Lord gives us enough clues in Scripture that we don't have to guess who he's talking about. Number one is context. Context is king. Again, if I wrote you a letter... You wouldn't just start in one spot. You would look what came before it to learn what I was talking about, right? Well, that's what we do with the Bible as well. In chapter 22, which is the context of chapter 23, Jeremiah is speaking to all these different kings. God has a word for all these different kings, especially, namely, the sons of Josiah. They were all bad kings, unfortunately, though Josiah was wonderful. He was this godly, righteous leader who made all these reforms. Sadly, his sons after him were very wicked not a guarantee that you'll be righteous just because your parents are. On the day of judgment, you won't be standing with anyone else before the Lord. You can't say, but my father was a pastor, but you know, my uncle was a missionary. God's going to talk to you. God's God's going to point at your heart on that day. Look at your heart on that day. See if your sins have been forgiven or not. It's not a guarantee. So these kings were being addressed 
in the context. Also, elsewhere in Scripture, like Psalm 78 and 71, let me just read it to you. It says, He, that's God, took David from tending the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants. God's own people, Israel. That verse in Psalms, Psalm 78, says, God took David, who used to tend ewes and lambs physically, and he made him the shepherd of God's people. Now, when you refer to David, you don't say shepherd David, do you? What do you call him? King David, right? So the context is talking about kings. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see the most famous king called a shepherd. Who's being referred to here in chapter 23 are these kings. Shepherd kings, we'll refer to them. These kings had a role, had a job, and they were to shepherd God's people. They were supposed to shepherd them, not just rule them as kings might do civilly. They weren't just civil leaders like maybe a king is in our day. They had a different description. Look at Jeremiah 3, verses 14 and 15. I got a slide for you with that on it. Look at this. We get what shepherds kings, what shepherd kings were supposed to do. Look, we don't have to guess. We're, we're told what God put them there for. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I'm your master. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. Look, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Isn't that interesting? Because David was called a man after God's own heart. He's the king. Another clue. These are shepherd kings who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That was the role of a shepherd king in that day. These shepherd kings who followed God, the ones that did it rightly, this was their job description. They were supposed to feed the people with knowledge and understanding. Remember last week when I showed you from the scriptures from Deuteronomy that the king was actually supposed to, when he was doing it rightly, he was supposed to write by hand his own copy of the law that the priest had to approve of, make sure he got it right, and it says he was supposed to read it every year. You know what that would mean then? That would mean he was saturated with the scripture so that when he got up to make a speech, guess what he would be giving them? Knowledge of God and understanding, according to this verse. Knowledge and understanding. What's the difference, Cohen? Knowledge is the information download. Understanding is how you live it out. So a king, giving them knowledge about who God is through his speeches and rules and things like that, then he would implement rules, laws in the land that would uphold the scriptures. He would say, this is what God's like, therefore the law of the land is don't murder, don't steal from your neighbor. God's character is like this, therefore this is how we're going to live. And so when these guys did it rightly, they gave knowledge and understanding, which was the application part. Here's the truth, and here's how we apply it to our lives. Why am I laboring this point? Because it's going to help us to see later what they did wrong. Woe to the shepherds, verse 1, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Those are our verbs in that first sentence there. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter. That's their actions. That's the verbs. And who are they doing this to? The sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the sheep who care for my people. You pick up on that? Whose sheep these are and whose people these are? Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, who care for my people. These are God's people. This king might have in his mind, these are my people. I'll do with him what I want to do. No. You are a king with a king above you. Just like I'm a shepherd, different from these kind of shepherds, but I'm a shepherd with a shepherd above me. I'm an under-shepherd. Can I say of this church, these are sheep under my care. These are, these are my sheep. These are my people. Yes, but you're God's people, which makes me want to shepherd you even more carefully because, yes, you're under my care, but you're not mine. You're God's. And that's one area where these kings went wrong. They thought, no, these are my people, and I'll do whatever I want to. I want to treat them badly. I want to tax them too heavily. If I want to enslave them to build something for me, I'm going to do it. And God says, they're mine. You're not supposed to destroy them and scatter them. You're supposed to be doing the opposite. That's why God has these words for them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, verse 2, concerning the sheep, I mean, the shepherd who cares for my people. See, that was their job description. They were supposed to care for the people, not use them, abuse them, live wicked, evil lives in front of them. So what do they do wrong? That's where we come. The second part of verse 2, and I've got a slide for you for the second part of verse 2, Jeremiah 23, 2. You have, number one, scattered my flock, and number two, have driven them away, and number three, you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. This king was supposed to be giving them knowledge about God and applying that knowledge in righteous rules over the land and how he ruled over the people. But what do we see him doing here? What do we see his character as? He is evil. And when you have an evil leader, it trickles down into the society. You have an evil shepherd. He's not shepherding rightly. What's he doing and not doing? We're told two things that he was doing, two things that he had done. He'd scattered them. He'd driven them away. And now we see something he was not doing. He was not attending to them. Why? Because he was evil. And the definition of being evil really is to do wicked things. And who, de who defines what's wicked? Who defines what sin is but God? Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that goes against God's righteous laws. Anything we think, say, or do that goes against God's righteous laws. That's sin, according to Scripture. God gets to define what sin is because God's the creator of truth. We don't create truth. I know how we like to word things, not we, but people in society. Well, that's your truth. This is my truth. Excuse me? You don't get to create truth. You submit to truth because that's where you find your greatest purpose and meaning in life. God made you to worship him. We muck up the program because we try to be gods ourselves and create our own truth and create our own little reality. 
Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. What you think doesn't matter. What's true is what matters. We submit to it. That's where we find our greatest joy and happiness and peace. We don't like that word, though, do we? Submit. I don't submit to anybody. I'm the boss. I'll do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it with. Don't tell me what to do. That attitude, you've had that attitude. We've all had that attitude. But we find that when we submit to God's righteous laws, that's when we're the most happy. See, even Jesus submitted to the Father when he was here on earth. And nobody looks at Jesus and says, oh gosh, what a doormat. Oh, just got walked all over his whole life long. No. He was the perfect man. This king should have been submitting to God's laws. Instead, what do we see about him? He was evil. And that trickled down to the people. The people were scattered. They were driven away. They were not attended because the king only cared for the king. The king said, I'm going to look out for number one. That's what the king didn't do right. Let's look at verse 3, though. Verses, verses 3 and 4 tell us what God's going to do. Look at this image I've got for you. This tells us the three things God's going to do. We saw, the, we, th- we saw the three things the bad shepherd wasn't doing rightly. Let's see what the good shepherd's going to do. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply, and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. This is what God's going to do. God said, this is what they did, they did, they did. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do good things for them. I'm going to gather the remnant. God's always had a remnant. What's a remnant? Well, even though you might not know what it means, you understand its size. When you think about the word remnant, do you think a huge, large number or a small number? Well, you think small, don't you? That's what a remnant means. God's always had his remnant of people here on planet Earth. There's always been believers on planet Earth, always, even though the number was very small. Even when Elijah ran away from Jezebel in fear, remember he was having a pity party there on the mountain, and he said, whoa, I I alone am left. It's just me left. I'm the only faithful one left, God. Poor me. And God said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I've got 7,000 you don't even know about. God's always had his remnant, and that remnant's usually small. Why? Because Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter therein, but narrow and small is the gate that leads to life. Few there be that find it. And God says, I'm going to gather the remnant of my flock, out of all these countries that I drive them out to. Why is God driving them out? Because of their wickedness. They followed the example of the king. They followed the example of the lying prophets and priests. And they forgot God's word. They went against it. They didn't like it because it didn't jive with what they wanted. That's usually what I find with people who throw the Bible away, who just punt the Bible and say, I'm done with this. It's not usually because they said, you know, I've studied all the other religions of the world and how they handle reality and truth and life and death and pain and suffering and goodness and joy. And you know, I think this one does better than Christianity. 
That's not usually the reason why people say, I'm done with this Jesus business. You know the reason why people usually punt the Bible and say, I'm done with this, I'm leaving the church. It's not because they did their homework. It's because the Bible says their actions are evil. And they're tired of having a guilty conscience, and they're, they're tired of having guilt. And so if I can just get, a, get the thing out of my life that says I'm guilty, well, then I don't have to feel guilty, and I can do whatever the heck I want to do. That's usually why they do it. And that's what was going on with the people of Israel as well. They said, you know, God says we shouldn't worship the false gods around here, and we shouldn't intermarry with the people. But I really want to. <laughs> And God says, after I cast you out, after the nations come in and invade you, like I said, they would, when you sinned against me, I'm going to gather you back. I'm going to bring you back. Because God's good and faithful and kind to repentant sinners. I'll bring them back to their fold. Again, sheep language, shepherd and sheep language. And I will set shepherds over them. That's one of the blessings that God has for his people is godly leaders. Some of the shepherds that he would set over them after they come back are like Ezra and Nehemiah when they come back to the nation and rebuild things. Then when you fast forward, some of the shepherds that he puts over them under the new covenant are the apostles, elders in the church age, other types of shepherds, not kings, but pastors. God's kind to give us good, faithful leaders. I'll set shepherds over them. Who will care for them? But did you pick up on something at the end of verse 3? I'll gather the remnant out of my flock. I'll bring them back. Look, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Did you see that in your Bible at the end of verse 3? And they shall be fruitful and multiply Ever heard that phrase anywhere in the Bible before? Be fruitful and multiply. Ring any bells? Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 9. It comes up twice. I've got an image for you for that one as well. This has always been God's plan for God's people. When he made Adam and Eve, when he started something new called earth and creation as we know it, and he made Adam and Eve. What was the plan for them? What was the command? So it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and do it. It's always been God's plan. And then secondly, whenever God recreated the earth, because sin had corrupted things so badly that it actually says in Genesis chapter, I think, 7, I believe, the thoughts and intentions of man's heart was only evil continually. That's how bad it was. It was so bad, God destroyed the entire earth, except for eight people and two of every animal, seven of each of the clean animals, however, though, in an ark. And then when he recreated, when he started over again, what does he say to Noah except God bless Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply? <laughs> That's always been God's plan when he's starting something or when he's restarting something. 
And it's the same here. They shall be fruitful and multiply when I bring them back. When I bring them back and we try this again, when we start over again, they're going to rebuild Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. If they follow me, they'll be fruitful and multiply. And that's what God wants for us under the new covenant as well. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. Remember what Jesus said? Go into all the world and make what? Disciples of all nations. We are supposed to multiply. We don't just say, ooh, I'm so glad I've got the gospel just for me. Just me and you, God. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not sure I want to tell anybody else. Of course not. You know when you first got saved. Don't you remember when you first got saved? You wanted to tell everybody about Jesus because you were this slave that had been let free out of the cage that Satan had you in, in darkness, and you were free. You want to tell everybody. Remember that? You turned all my, old, all my friends off. They were like, this guy, goodness gracious, stop talking about Jesus. You've already given me four gospel tracts. I don't want another one. Please go away. <laughs> it's just because I cared about them so much that so I want people to be saved. When you have the gospel, that's what it makes you want to do. Tell people how to know this man, Jesus, who you love so much, right? It's always been the plan. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God's always wanted for us. I said this was a shepherd showdown, right? These are the bad ones. What about the good one? What about the shepherd king that's the good one then? Let's bring him in. Look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up. Here's another one of those I wills. We've already seen. I will gather. I will bring. I will, I will set shepherds. And now here's another one. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Isn't it interesting? Earlier, we saw the bad shepherd kings were called evil. They had evil deeds. What about in verse 5? What about this one? He's a righteous branch. They were evil. He's righteous. See that? He actually mentions either righteous or righteousness three times in two verses. I'll raise it for David, a righteous branch shall execute justice and righteousness. And at the very end, he's going to be called the Lord our righteousness. Righteous, righteous, righteous. I think he's trying to tell us something. That this one is righteous. He's good. He does everything right. Because that's who he is. See? We see who he is a righteous branch. We see what he's going to do. He's going to execute justice and righteousness. And we see what he gives. He's the Lord, our righteousness. Who he is, what he does, what he gives. It's all righteous. Because that's who this one is. He is a great, wonderful, perfect, glorious, lovely, Awesome, majestic, mighty shepherd king who does everything right because he's righteous. That's who he is. And he can't be anything but. And aren't you glad? Let's see what he says about himself. Look at John 10, 11 through 6. I'm sorry, 11 through 16. We don't normally go backwards with verses. We usually go forward. 11 through 16. John 10, 11 through 16 says this. This is Jesus speaking. See what he says about himself, what he's going to do as this righteous king, the one that God will raise up. I'm the good shepherd. I am 
the good shepherd. I'm that one. Notice he didn't say, I'm a good shepherd, one of many. I'm the good shepherd. This one prophesied, the shepherd king to come, I'm him. What do you do, Jesus, as the good shepherd? Tell us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he does. He dies in place of them. They deserve judgment. And here's this good shepherd that says, Father, I'll take, I'll take their judgment. I don't deserve it. Just like Butch pointed out earlier, what a bad things happen to good people. Well, there's only ever been one good person just to let you know. And bad things happened to him because he volunteered. He stood in our place. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. The wrath of God fell upon him. It did not have any business falling upon him because he was not wicked. He was righteous. But he chose to take the punishment for wicked sinners because he loves the sheep. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we know that he said, it is finished. And he died and he rose again on the third day, proving that the price was paid, proving that he is who he says he is, proving that death and hell have no dominion over him because he is that mighty. But Jesus has more to say. He talks about how those who are under shepherds and bad ones, how do they act? Okay, John 10, 12. He was the hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. There's our word, scatters. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter my sheep. Ah, there's our word. These kings, shepherd kings of old, were acting just like this hired hand who does not care for the sheep. He leaves them and flees. And the wolf scatters them. Verse 13. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Tell us about you, Jesus. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I laid down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He was speaking to a group of Jews here, and he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, you Jews. I must bring them also. See, that's what happens in the rest of the New Testament. The Gentiles start coming in. Even the apostles are a bit confused about that. Remember Peter on the roof at Simon the Tanner's house has a dream. All these animals being lowered down in a sheep by its four corners and God says to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. Uh, clean animals and unclean animals. And like Peter likes to do, he says, not so Lord. Like he said to Jesus once before. He said, this shall not happen to you, Jesus. <laughs> well, Peter says, I'm a good Jew. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten any unclean thing in my entire life. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And then right after that, he goes to a Gentile's house named Cornelius. And what do you know? He starts preaching, and the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. And he says, what's going on? The Holy Spirit fell on us on the day of Pentecost, and now it's falling on these Gentiles? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. So if we go back to our verse here in Jeremiah 23, it makes sense of what he says here. In verse 5, behold, the days are coming, 
declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Listen, we know that's Jesus. This is a reference to David's descendant who will sit on the throne forever. This is this righteous branch. This is Jesus Christ. But notice what verse 6 starts with. Look at those three, day, three words that verse 6 starts with. Do you see them there? In his days. In the days of this shepherd king Jesus. In his days. Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he's to be called the Lord our righteousness. Judah and Israel, in the past, they'd already been gathered back to the land. Well, at least Judah. Israel kind of got scattered. So who's he talking about here then when he says, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely? Who's this Judah and Israel he's talking about? I don't get it. Because in his days... Before he died on the cross, roughly 34 AD or so, did all of Judah and Israel come back? Huh? Did they? No, not physically. Who's he talking about then? Well, let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Let's see if we can figure out who's this Judah and Israel he's talking about. Who are they? Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Look at this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying this is, these are all the people that God saves. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, woman or a man. You can all be saved by faith. Now look at this. For you are all in Christ Jesus, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abraham was the first Jew. And all his offspring after him were Jews. And he's saying, this promise, though, that he made to Abraham, that through you I'm going to bless the world through you, I'm going to give your descendants the promised land. He's saying, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. By faith, you're a true Jew. You're a Jew according to the Spirit. That's why in our verse, in Jeremiah 23, 16, all right, six, other, hang on, I'm almost done, guys. Hang with me, hang with me. That's why it says in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. In the days of Jesus, anyone who comes to Jesus by faith you are Jews, according to the Spirit. You are Abraham's descendants. He was the man of God by faith. And you have to come to God by faith also, believing that his word is true, believing that you are brought into the kingdom through faith in what Jesus did for you. And that's how you become not only a sheep of one of the great shepherds' pasture. That's how you also become a true Jew, according to the Spirit. You're going to succeed as you follow your shepherd, the shepherd king. You're going to succeed as you follow his word, his command. It's when you go against it that you'll be like these back in this day in Jeremiah that went astray. 
and found themselves judged because they went against God's word, thinking they knew better than the righteous shepherd king. 